Kalimera, Kalispera, wherever time you are watching, this is Mappa. I'm Stel, and my guest is Apea Akrotiri head coach, Perry Mustaga. Perry, welcome to the show, my guy. How you doing? I'm well, thanks for having us, Del. Finally on your podcast, you. mate. <laughs> Great to have you. And you've got the Aussie accent as well, man, which makes it easier for me. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> well, look, mate. I can't lose it, but it makes it easier for me as well. Having interviews or these conversations in Greek isn't my thing, mate. So, oh man, I tell you what, I was watching the uh, the Omonia press conference because they've introduced uh, Jesper Janssen as the sporting director, and I noticed that the Cypriot uh, journalists were actually asking questions in English. I thought, blimey, has our podcast actually influenced them somewhat? Because I've never seen that before. All these Cypriot yeah. journalists asking questions in English. <laughs> Well, you've definitely set a trend, but you, you know, you've got to understand as well, like not many Cypriots around anymore in the leagues, are there? So they need to learn to communicate. There you go. There you go. But I, I guess it makes it easier for the the translators or the communications guys. But then again, at the same time, it's like, well, you know, it, it, it is a tricky job for these people doing the translating and everything. So I, I've got to give them their props. I've got to give them their props for doing that. But yeah, man. So first of all, before we talk about your playing career, which, you know, you've had a very good playing career, my friend. I want to talk about your club, Abea. And, um, yeah, how, how did you get into management? How did you end up at the club? Look, uh, to be completely honest with you, you know, when you're playing, you think you can play forever. And then as you get closer to the end, you're not sure what you want to do. I'll be completely honest with you. I wasn't sure if I wanted to get into coaching or not. Um, and it kind of fell in my lap when I was back in Australia. So the last club I was playing for there, kind of, I wasn't going to play. And then I ended up playing. Um, and before we knew it, we were without a, uh, a coach. And then I just got Sorry, into my, it. And, um, Sorry, my mic just was... dropped there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. It happened. Um, and I just got into it that way. And to be honest with you, I fell in love with it straight away. So I was a player coach. So it was a bit different now, you know trying to lead by example and coaching at the same time. Um, and I fell in love with it. And then, you know, I came back to Cyprus, played another year. And um, to be honest, I bumped into the president, uh, Jamie of um, Akrodiri at Zagadji, and he was trying to do uh, build the same project that we're building now at Zagadji, uh, which was a bit tougher to do there. So I got on board there and um, it didn't work out. And then we found, we are trying to find another club that we could kind of start from the bottom and build our way up. And here we are three years later. So it's been it's been really, really enjoyable, man. I've loved every second of it. Well, mate, I'll tell you what, we've, um, I, I do the show for BFBS every week with um, Hal. And I know Hal is a big Abair fan. He goes to the games um, and I think he might know a few people in and around the club, and he really speaks highly of Abagradiri and the, the club's structure. But in terms of last season, I know it was a little bit disappointing at the back end of the season. How would you assess last year as a whole, and were there any major positives that you could take out of it that you can build on for this coming season? Yeah, but look, there's always positives we can take out of it. Yeah, um, you know, definitely we were, we were aiming to get promoted and um, it, was a bit, it was a bit disappointing not getting there at the end. But I think at the, other, the other thing we can be proud about is, of, is that, you know, we've come from fourth division. We were new to the league. I think most of us around the club are, are new to the league as well. We didn't really know what to expect. Um, and yeah, so the league it took us by surprise. So and 
uh, we've learned a lot from that. And I think we're trying to make the right uh, moves this year to be more prepared for uh, the physical side of the game, let's just say. So it's uh, there's a bit less space in Division 3 because it's a bit chaotic, a lot of physical battles. So we, we, we know what to be looking for now. So, yeah, look, overall, we wanted to get promoted. But I think, you know, coming from fourth division to third, we did well to finish fourth. And we learn and um, we take that into the new season. And uh, that's, you know, that's what we do. Every day that goes by, we work together and uh, we try and make every day better than the last. And what about the structure of the club itself? Because I know it's last season, you had a few Dutch players, you had a few players from down under, so to speak. Um, is there a lot of emphasis on youth development at the club as well as bringing in players that are experienced, whether it be abroad or in Cyprus? The, the whole purpose of the project when it started is that we were trying to build a, a base, a platform for um, these the Cypriot players that, you know, you get there, you get close to first team, you get to the first team, but that next step is massive, you know. So some, some of these players need that extra development to, to fulfil their potential, let's say, or, or maybe even to grow into their bodies a little bit. So we were trying to find those guys that had just gone to Ayel, Apoel, Abolon and didn't make that cut. And we were trying to set a professional environment for them and, and help them develop. And hopefully after a year or two with us, that they can take that next step. Um, that's how the project started at the beginning. But, you know, uh, in Cyprus, in the lower leagues, it's, it's hard to try get the players to trust your vision. And that's the biggest hurdle we've had. And that's why, unfortunately, but fortunately as well, because we've got some really good players that went on to play first division and went to bigger things. But that's why we ended up looking into the market abroad. Um, but, you know, it was for develop the, those young men into into their game and that. And that's what we want to do. And definitely we saw, you know, as time goes by, you definitely need those experienced players to help the young guys. And this year we got, We've got a good core of experience and, you know, we're looking to build on that youth part of it and we're hoping to have a lot more Cypriots on board this year. Um, I don't like looking into transfer marks for statistics because a lot of them can be misleading. But I've noticed that, according to that website, of course, some of the players who perhaps performed very well last season are no longer at the club. Now, if that's the case, how difficult is it to recruit players that not only fit the club structure, your philosophy, and also the aims to better last season? The, the main reason that we couldn't keep most of the, the foreigners last year is because there's a ruling that you're only allowed to have an X amount of uh, over, over the age of 22 European players. So we most of our young guys that came through with us, the European players, they've all excelled that age. So that's the main reason we couldn't keep a majority of them. Uh, but look, to be honest, when you, the transfer market, it's, it's like the cover of the book. So when you hear a name, you go there and you look at it, you see where he's been. I think we look for trends kind of like if you see a player that every six months or 12 months is changing clubs, you kind of see the trend there, something, you know, it's hard to judge, but you've got to try and make some decisions on that. And then we look into games and we try to get character checks and things like that. Look, it's definitely the hardest part, but it's the most important part. So it's like you're building a house from the start, um, the foundation. You know, June, July, August is when is the time that you can really pick the right players for the way you want to play and, and the goals that you have uh, towards the end of the year. Because after that, you know, you can't 
it's you can't start building a house from the top so um we put a lot of effort into it and you know that's why we're also looking a lot more into the market in cyprus this year where we can get more information from the players and you know i think the most important thing that we check also is character check we're really big on the vibe that we have there we want to make sure the players you know they they want to become to come to training not to have that feeling ah here we go again so um yeah it's a lot of work a lot of work goes into it but i've got to give a big shout out to the staff members as well you know that we spend a lot of hours on it and mate there are a lot of players who are spoken to who've applied their trade in cyprus but also in bigger leagues in europe and they've told me the Cypriot league is not only unforgiving but at the same time it's so misunderstood because it doesn't matter what level you've played at or how experienced you are you come to cyprus and it's a different kettle of fish, whether it be the quality, whether it be everything that goes around, goes on in the game itself. You yourself, having played top level in Cyprus, knowing the league, and then looking at the lower leagues, the league that you're in at the moment, Division 3, what can you tell us about the, the difference in quality, but also the competitiveness of, the, of that division? Because I've seen it throughout this season, and it's always been up and down with teams. You've got one team that will be top, then they'll drop down to third, and the team that's full to go into second. So it's very competitive, clearly. Yeah, look, I think I've always generally believed that it, no matter where you play, if you're playing at the highest level in that country, you're going to find something that's difficult. Like it's all, Every country's got its different style, and not because you played well in Italy, you're going to play well in England, right? Like, it just... every You have things that you need to adapt to, culture. There's a lot of things. There's the heat also in Cyprus, you know, it's, it's not easy. You're playing until October, November. Sometimes it's still 30 degrees. You've got to adjust to a lot of things. Um, but it, it's it's competitive. We see over the last couple of years as well in Cyprus, we've been getting some pretty, pretty good players. I think overall, if you look at profiles, it's probably the best set of profiles we've ever had in Cyprus. I don't know it's the best football that's ever been played in first division Cyprus. I think for a period there where Apoel was going to the final eight, you saw you saw Ammonia uh, started bringing back some of the uh, internationals with Okaz and Gostandino and all these things. We saw Boldon for a while there. They were playing some fantastic football. I think last year, you can only really say, you know, Artis really stood out all the way through the end, along with Ayek. And this is why you saw Ayek go so well in conference. But you, I seem to have the same problem every year. Back end, they drop off. You know, something, something's missing there at the back end. So, uh, but in the lower leagues, I think I played in the lower leagues in Australia when I was uh, in the back end of my career. Um, the, I was really surprised to come to third, fourth, and third division in Cyprus and to see um, how further ahead they are in something okay maybe in ball playing ability when it's not the same level as in in australia but the understanding of the game the tactical side of things it's really surprising like you see a lot of teams they have a good structure they know what they want to do they have a plan and and they follow that plan and i think the best the best thing i can say about third division last year is like if you take away uh the anis and asil where i feel that they were the best ball-playing team. If you went from Anath all the way to the second-last team, they all had the same kind of game, uh, physical game, long ball. There wasn't a big difference between all of them. And, of course, Anath, in the end, the reason they got 30 is because they had someone that scored 26 goals, and, and that's what made the difference. Um, so, it's you know, it's 
it's got its difficulties. The, the second league also, the last the last two years, you know, there's been a lot of money in there. They're getting foreigners in there. I know we say this part about the foreigners and, you know, the Cypriots seem to be dropping off, but, you know, we need to step up as well. You know, when you, you've got a bigger market, we need to step up, don't we? I agree. And, you know, we've seen, for example, um, <clears throat> Ipsona, they've been taken over was a while back now anyway. And then you've seen the likes of Garmi Odisa get, coming into money, Aris, obviously, and then Buffalo prior to that. So it, it does make the, the Cypriot League more interesting because they're bringing in more players. But at the same time, you're thinking it's going to be difficult for the, the, the smaller teams that perhaps don't have that financial muscle to to challenge. And the thing is, you're, you're going to be relying on your academy. You're going to be relying on the scouting. But then when you've got the bigger clubs soaking up all of the the major talent, at what point do you turn around and you say, we need to start casting the net wider and looking abroad. And this is a segue into my next question because we've been discussing this on the podcast for, for a while now. And there are lots of British Cypriots. There are a lot of Australian Cypriots who will qualify to play for the national team or they can get their passports to become citizens. At what point do you think clubs are going to turn around and say, we need to start collaborating with clubs abroad? Because I know in, in Australia, you've got clubs like, for example, Sydney Olympic, and you've got people like, Peter Philobulos, who was at, was it Perth? I think was a chief executive, if I'm not mistaken, Perth Glory. So there's a lot of Greek Cypriot influence yes, out there. Was, yeah. yeah, see, I know yeah. my stuff, man. Well done, well done, <laughs> I know man. my stuff. Um, so th there are lots of Australian Cypriots or Australian Greeks who will be able to play for Cypriot clubs. So uh, do you think clubs are going to start looking at that option? Or is it financially just unstable or financially unsustainable, shall I say? I don't think they will, mate. I don't think they're looking at that market. Um, I think I have this conversation quite a bit where, you know, last year, I think Buffett bought a player for 1 million, 1.4, Bruno from Ammonia. From Ammonia, yeah. Um, yeah. Right, look, Buffett maybe isn't the best example because they are investing in their youth and that. But you see a lot of money comes and goes. A lot of players that come take a lot of money that's not successful. I feel it would be a good idea if we start investing back into our academies and youth so we can have better facilities, more coaches involved. Um, you know, they, they take a small amount, you know, their wage. So you've got to understand those coaches that are more capable, they can't come for such a small amount. So they should start looking back into that. I think also the federation need to look into ways to making sure Cypriots are playing. You know, like the fines clubs decide to pay fines over playing players. So um, it is a little upsetting, but we we got to be honest as well, still, right? Like we have we have this mentality that we point the finger at other people instead of looking ourselves in the mirror. We we got to be completely honest with this. So you know, like oh, they went and signed this guy, oh, that guy's dad, or this. What about you? What about you? Are you doing everything? Like, are you training at 100%? Are you sleeping right? Are you eating right? Are you doing everything you can to be in front of the next guy? So we do have this mentality, and it's something that, as parents, we need to get it out of this culture that we have. And obviously, you know, the other one is the federation, right? They've got to start looking into ways to, to start pushing uh, the, the youth guys to have more ambitions, I guess. Well, the thing is, mate, I, I look at 
my friend Mike Pierre, and I'm sorry to mention him for the for the listeners because I, I always mention Mike, and you know he's a good friend of mine, but he's done some incredible work over the years at a club in the UK called Omonia London. Now they're not uh, Omonia Youth, sorry, Omonia Youth. They're not associated or affiliated with Omonia in Cyprus. They just have the name, and they've got. Uh, teams from all the way from under eights right the way through to under nine teams. They've got a under 19, sorry, they've got a a disabled team. They've got a women's team. So they're really working hard. And they won the FA grassroots team of the year two years ago. You got Salamina UK, which are affiliated with Mm -hmm. Salamina in Cyprus, but they've got their own team. In fact, I think they're in the sixth tier of the English league. So they play, they compete in the FA cup. You've got uh, Ayek in Finchley. There's a team called Limassol FC in London. And there are various clubs in the UK, youth clubs, that have produced talented players. In fact, going back to Omonia, they've got a youngster that's ended up at uh, West Ham. They've got a few players at Leighton Orient. I think one ended up at Brighton as well. So we, we are producing the talent. But unfortunately, the connection isn't there. And for you, having played in Australia, I'm guessing you're sitting there thinking, Christ, we've got a lot of talented players in Australia that qualify for the Cypriot national team or have Cypriot blood or heritage that can get the passport. Let's do something with these academies out back home or back in Australia, merge them, amalgamate them. We increase our our, our pool of talent because, no disrespect, I look at Croatia. Croatia's got, what, three, four million people, but yet they produce world-class talent. Year after year. All after the year time. Well. Yeah, yeah. All the time. So yeah, why yeah, are definitely. we not? Look, it's definitely they should look into. Like, you know, it's a, it's a hard one as well. So I'll give you myself as an example, right? So I'm Australian born, but everything about me is Greek, right? I'm Cypriot. My parents were born here. I was just born in another country. I, when I first came to Cyprus, I was playing as a Cypriot. Somewhere along the line, the ruling changed and I was no longer a Cypriot. So even though I had a passport, even though I was married, even though I was paying my taxes, even though I did the army, somewhere there, the ruling changed. And the ruling still is similar. So if you don't play before your 18th birthday in the academies and you come and play in Cyprus after that, you're not entitled to play the Cypriot. So you've got to take a European spot. So somewhere there, we kind of put a dead end to that to that road as well, haven't we? But we should definitely be looking around, you know, worldwide, like like America as well. They've got, uh, I think Salamina have a club out that way as well. They do quite yeah, well so, as well. Yeah. yeah, so uh, to be honest with you, I didn't know that we had so many clubs in, in the UK. So, well, this is information that people should know and they should be trying to affiliate with them to see what, what can be done. But, you know, when at the end of the day, when... You, these clubs nowadays, when they have the investors in and they want to play out, the market's massive, mate. It's massive. They don't. There's no real. There's no real price to what they can get. Yeah. So if they're looking yeah. for a player, it's doable. So, um, but I, like, I, I'm a little disappointed with some things that I see. Like, you know, we see that our national team, like we're giving thirty plus year old guys international debuts, and then we got a young kid just sitting at home where, you know what I mean? Are we ever going to go to the Euros? Are we ever going to go to the World Cup? Maybe one day, but we should be pushing these guys to get yeah. more game time and try to get them sold or moved on to a, a bigger place. So we that's how we can get a bigger a b- bigger group of players. Yeah. And the thing is, going back to what you said about the national team, I've look, I've got no issue with uh, nationalising players, provided they can bring something to the table. So, for example, Joel Moll, 
goalkeeper. He's been brilliant in Cyprus. Don't get me wrong, you know, Swiss goalkeeper. He's back home, actually, in Switzerland. Um, but then I look at the the other Cypriot keepers that are in that squad. You've got Spoljaric that isn't really playing at Garmiodisa. You've got uh, Dimitriou who's not playing at Abolon. You've got Banayi that's not playing at Omonia. And at what point do you say, Christ, these, these lads need to be playing first-team football? Yeah, that's right. Like, I get more. I get that move. Like, I get we don't have any separate goalkeepers playing. Um, I think even in second division, there's foreigners playing there as well. So, we do have a problem with goalkeepers. We definitely know that. Um, what, what do we do, mate? Like, if they're good enough, they should be playing. That's It always yeah. comes down to that. Are they good enough? I, I don't see them day in, day out. I can't I can't make that judgment. Um, but it, it would be nice to see more Cypriot playing, more regular. Like you even saw the young boy from Ammonia, um oh, the winger. No, oh, that. Johnny's that went to school in Kansas. Or yeah, like you see Luizio. So yeah, Luizio. You saw like he was in the, the next best thing coming out of Cyprus and then there was a little hiccup and they put him to the side. I mean Sopronis yeah. Sofronis is the one that put him back in and just, you know, it looks like for Sofronis said to him, no matter what happened, you're playing for me. So like, we, we need to start supporting our, our players as well, mate. No, I agree. I agree. I think that, look, we've got a lot of talents within the island. There's no two ways about it. But I think it goes back to what other coaches and other people have told me on this pod in terms of how a lot of the younger players are kind of, kind of mollycoddled especially by parents. And again, it's our culture. You know, I still, you know, Domoro, Domoro and Grima, yeah. that kind of stuff. But in other countries, they're, they're stern. And I think maybe that's something that we need to change in the culture when it comes to football. I, I don't know. Look, there's, there's a lot of permutations and a lot of ifs, buts and maybes. But the bottom line is, I've seen it myself, the talented players that we've produced. And it's not just within Cyprus, it's not just abroad. You can even look at players that are, are half separate, like for example, Marcus yeah. Edwards. I yeah. mean, Marcus Edwards is a phenomenal footballer. His mum's Cypriot. Andros Townsend, his mum's Cypriot. I, I don't think yeah. Pop are doing enough, but on the flip side, I look at the UK and we had a, a semi-pro league called the Goba League. And you know, there were various teams, you know, Comique Beer, there was a, an Orthosy, there was an Ammonia, but the corruption was was rife. It, 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 no, I was talking to a friend at a wedding the other day and he was telling me, like, in the cup final, he saw two chairmen exchanging money at full time, literally cash in hand <laughs> in front of everyone. Oh, it was going on. So it's no surprise that there isn't any progress when the people that are running the ship are just corrupt as hell. But again, an illegal vendor for another time. And I think we've uh, I've, I've said too much about this already. But let's go back to your, your time in Australia then, mate, because obviously... Soccer or football isn't the, the main league out the main sport out there, but I've seen the A League is doing pretty well at the moment. There's money coming in, and obviously they had the problem with the, with the sponsor with Hyundai, I think, or the television money and all that kind of stuff. And then there's other stuff with MacArthur, which I'm not going to go into. Alinguvenda again. Um, but you you playing football out there? What was that like for you in terms of your development and your experience? I'm not quite funny. I was having this conversation the other day. Um... Where we kind of I didn't tap your phone. Or... I didn't tap your phone, no, I promise. You can't <laughs> trust phones anymore, mate. We talk about one thing and Facebook's all over it. Um, <laughs> so we were talking about it the other day. I think for a big period there, we saw we saw a lot of Australians. We weren't moving aboard. We, we saw there wasn't a lot of movement within Europe and, and around the world. And there was a big period there where 
we tried to change our curriculum the way we wanted to be playing. I think, I think for me, and probably the generation after me, the biggest difference was that, mate, like academies now, like the way kids are being taught, we had none of that. But what what we did have, we had, it was more like street football. It was like, you know, it wasn't very structured. We were learning how to play on the go. It was, it was physical, it was intense. Um, there was a lot of that that allowed us to get thick skin, let's just say. And now times have changed. So a, a talented six-year-old, whether he's a tennis player, basketball player, football player, from the age of six, he's focused on that sport. And that's very hard for, for you know, someone to be 16, 17, trying to get into men's football, even if it's a, a, a lady uh, trying to get into the highest level, let's just say. When you've been doing full-time training on one sport for so long, it's hard to be, you know, mentally focused all the way through. And then that next big step is that you thought the mental part of the game was difficult. Once you get to the, the elite level, it, it's 90% mental and then 10% the rest. Uh, so I think I was fortunate enough that I was that age group that I didn't really start focusing on football as my number one sport until I was about 14, 15. So I was playing cricket, I was playing basketball, I was playing rugby, I was I was doing everything. And and that allowed you to grow. You know, you learn different parts of like in basketball, the agility, the leap, the jump, you know, using your body, um, you know, rugby, obviously the physical the physical side of things like that, you know, cricket, eyeball coordination. Like we, we get to we built athletes more than um, but now it's just, you know you're very you're six years old. Oh, he's a good footballer. That's it. It's like football, 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 and it's it's, it's tough. So um, I absolutely loved the way I came, my my boyhood, my you know my young life. Let's just say childhood. Let's say oh, I absolutely loved it. It was full of sports, and I think that's what really helped me when things got tough. To be honest. So, what age were you when you went to Cyprus? I had just turned. 21 right so, okay and you went to cyprus and what you just had to try a bollon or was it no it wasn't a bollon actually so no i was playing over there i was from the age of 16 i was in the in and out of the first team and this and that and then when uh before a league came along it was a national soccer league so there was a yeah. gap there for about i think 18 months there was no league so we we're playing in some smaller leagues and that. And I actually had an, I'm not going to call him an uncle. We seem to call everyone Theo in Australia. Anyone yeah. that's Greek and we're Greek, we call him Theo. So it was a friend of my dad that used to play for AL back in the 60s, 70s. And he used to come and watch me. So he was the one that called AL to have a look at me. Um, but AL was in a bit of a mess at that moment. And it didn't really happen. And then out of nowhere, I was knocking on the door of an here and I asked him for a trial. Um, which they all turned and laughed at me, which makes sense. Uh, but to be honest, I, I asked for a day trial, and that trial ended up being two weeks. Gaspaya, uh, you know, I was doing quite well. Gaspaya kept inviting me back. And from that, some small windows opened, and before you knew it, I was sitting on the beach with my cousin, and I was ready you know, to just start travelling because nothing came from it. And as I was sitting on the beach, I didn't even know my own number. My phone rang, and... Um, it was a bottle and they said, oh, so we've done some research and we know some people in Australia. Come sign a contract, get your passport. Tomorrow we're going to Germany. And that's just how it went to be. Wow, honest. So, just like that? Yeah, yeah, just like that. <laughs> Brilliant. 
I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't even know my own number and somehow they found my number and it was ringing. So, um, made it happen pretty quick, to be honest. Pretty quick. So. That is incredible. So, what, what, what are we talking in terms of your first full season? 04, roughly? 04. 04. So, I didn't know too much about the army system and how it worked. So, as soon as I signed a contract, I enrolled straight into the army. So, the first six months, obviously, was a, you know, learning curve. Um, I was asking to play for the 21s at that time. So gonna, I wasn't getting much game time. And then in January, I threw myself in the army. And it was probably a mistake. Um, but, you know, how, how things work out sometimes, you know, I was just in the army. I came out to train. Bern Stanger was there, who had also been at Perth Glory. Uh, he actually, he, he, he kicked me out of training, actually, because I wasn't on his list. And you know, I just, yeah, yeah. So I was just sitting there and I just said, I said to my dad, I said, look, I'm, I mean, I've, I've got to finish the army. I've got six months. I'll finish it. I'll just go play with the 21. So I'm not, you know, uh, not wasting time. And I'll see you in June, I said to him. And Stanger, assistant coach, happened to always watch the 21s play. And he's the one that tapped me on my shoulder and said, look, I, mate, I love the way you play. Let me talk to the coach. Stanger organised a friendly game. I played. And then in two, in two years with him, I think I missed maybe three games only. So, that just it, again, it just took off just like that. So, it was quite Amazing. surreal. It was... Yeah, yeah, it was it was actually amazing. amazing. Well, the, the, your first season was I'd I'd say successful for you in terms of your personal development, you know. But the following year was was a massive year for the club, wasn't it? Historic. It came from nowhere, mate. It came from nowhere. You know, we nearly got relegated the year before, even though yep. we had a really, I think, the back end, the second half of the season. I think we finished first or second if the season had started in January. We had a really good. Um, a really good back end to, of the season, and and then the second year when the, when uh, 05, 06 came around, um, man, I, you know what? It was just I've never actually experienced it ever since then. It just you would wait for the weekend to play the game because the game seemed easier than training. So the the intensity and the the competitiveness that we had at training. Um, just had us on another level to come game game day. So, um, yeah, credit to Stange. Like, I, I can sit here and tell you that personally, he didn't pull me aside. He didn't teach me anything tactically or anything, but he just had everyone ready. Like, if you're not playing this weekend and next week, if he threw you in, doesn't matter who it was. Like, everyone was just ready to to give everything for that club and. You know, we went undefeated and man, it was bloody hard. You know, it's now when you think back on it, you're like, wow, you know, I won the, I won the league. But when, when that last game was finished, it was, mate, I just want to go home. Like it was, <laughs> we, we won the league in the last game of the season being undefeated. It was just, oh, finally, you know. Oh, let's, that's intense, man. Yeah, let, let's that's go. Intense. Let's go rest. We can rest now. So, yeah. That's but now looking that's back on it, it was unreal. Well, some team though, you know, you mentioned Merkiz, Gorolovsky was there. He had a uh, Sozin up front. That was a he was a gunman, wasn't he? Mate, well, you know, you play. He was scoring a goal a game, you know. So you play for him, you know. Like just <laughs> twenty there, twenty one or ball. something. Yeah, wow. yeah. So it was done real. Just Ugh. so good, and it's such a good guy. All of them, you know, Bogdan as well. Now he's the coach there. You know, he was a good leader. Delfilo, 
um, we had, you know, we had a good mix of, we had three or four players from Iraq as well. So, you know, they were just really good guys. They, you know, they blended in well. Makti Karim was just, the guy was unreal. He could just run, make 20K the game. We had a good mix, a good mix of youth and experience. And I think it blended well. So you mentioned Bogdan in terms of his playing ability and how much of a leader he is. We saw the change in uh, Apollon's fortunes last season when he came in as as head coach. And you could, you could tell he was getting the best out of players that perhaps were underperforming throughout the season. For example, VAR, you know, even Varda, when he came into the, the, the club, he wasn't really firing on all cylinders. But that game against Apollon, the, the last few games of the season where they just ripped them to shreds. And then obviously Bitta, whose development has... He's gone from down there to like there. Yeah. He went to naught to hundred in 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 seconds. Um, but what can you tell us about the Bogdan as a person? And I'm not going to ask you if you're surprised with how well they did last season because I don't think you are. <laughs> well, look, I'm going to tell you, I am surprised how well he did because I didn't think that team, the way it had gone up until that moment, I, I was sure there would be an improvement but I didn't think the improvement would have been as big as it was. And the results as well, you know, I think he went in 13 games. I think he lost only three or four. It's massive. He was, maybe if there were a few more games left, he might've got a European spot. But, um, you know, Bogdan was always that guy that he was, you knew he was going to be a coach. So playing with him, you knew eventually he was going to be a coach. He was firm and, you know, he would shout at you, but you also had that feeling that, Mate, hang on, he's helping me. You didn't feel that he was trying to put you down or anything. It was always a, a way of encouraging. And I always said it that I was lucky that I came to a ball in the, the time I came because, you know, I had Barun next to me, I had Mihalski behind me and I had Bokhtan in front of me. Anytime you were, you know, stressed or lost in the game, you could play him, you know, in a really difficult position and they were okay with it. So um, as a coach, I, th- I thought he was going to do well. Now I'm sure he's going to do well. Um, I didn't think he was going to turn it around that quick. So, you know, he, he reads the game well and, you know, he makes good decisions. And I think he, I think he, all the games he won, you could just really see that he would pinpoint the, the weaknesses of the other team and he got it right. So hopefully they back him this year and, you know, there, there, there needs to be a lot of changes in, in my eyes. Uh, I think the balance isn't there. They've lost some important players, um, you know, Looks like Bitter's on his way out as well. Hopefully, you know, I think he's been doing really well. And it will be good to see another Super Eater board. So hopefully that goes well for him. Well, they're talking about a possible move to Belgium or Germany. Now, I know that we've got a bit of a reputation for players going abroad, especially to those two countries. You know, we saw Laifi, we saw Gadelari go to Ostend. And then obviously some of the younger players, uh, Fodi went to, what's it? Hanover, yeah, yeah. Sorry, he went to Eintracht Frankfurt, and now yeah, he's at Hanover. Right. Yeah. So we, we've got this thing about the the Germans and the Belgians. So I think it would be great to see Bitter go to these countries. But in terms of his development out there, can he cope with the demands of those leagues? Because look, let's get it right. As, as much as I love the Cypriot League and. We, we could we can wax lyrical about our players defensively. There, a lot of improvements need to be made from from that perspective. And in those leagues, they do focus on on clean sheets, don't they? Yeah, but I, I think 
I think the defensive part of our league in general, I think one reason we saw the last year or two that in Europe, besides Ajax, they did a really good run. I think you start to see the results are starting to go against us a bit more. I think because in our league, we're a little bit more tactical. So we try to defend a bit more where you see, even though worldwide, you see the defense, the block is a lot smaller these days. Um, it's a bit more open, it's a bit faster. Uh, we don't have that speed in our league. And I think that's the result we saw. But what we did see with Bittas, and I think the reason Bittas continued playing is that he, he always had that intensity. He always had that intensity in his game. Um, it was the game I think I was watching. I went and watched Abolon versus Buffalo where they were losing 2-0, I think. And it was the 93rd minute where they lost the ball and he ran all the way back, defended, got the ball and went all the way back. He still had that winning mentality in him. And I think that's the reason why Bittas continued playing because there was, mate, believe it or not, there was a lot of hate towards him at some point. Like, But he just seems to be there. He's got a goal in him. And, mate, I think... If he continues with this same mentality, I think he, coaches won't be able to ignore him. So I'm, I'm, I'm backing him to do well wherever he goes. And what about Sofroni? Because he was goalkeeper at the time, if I'm not mistaken. For I'm sorry, he was, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I don't think you know. Look, for me, when he when he got the Omonio job, I wasn't overly excited because not because I, I don't like him as a person. It's just that I've always believed that he's a very good motivator, but the tactical side has always kind of let him down because we saw with Abuel the season before when when Abolon won the title, he had them so close. You know, he had them so close. And it's almost as if he'll get clubs to a certain level, but he just can't push them over the line to do it. But then again, Cyprus and circumstances might not might have been beyond his control. Um, but what do you make of him in terms of his coaching methods, in terms of him, not just as a person, because like I said, I know people that have told me that players will jump through hoops for this guy, literally, or through walls. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what we do see from Sofronis. You see you see that he can definitely motivate his players. And it's the, it's, it's the most important thing at the moment for a coach, I think. The kids are different now, right? So... You know, when we used to get screamed at, we used to continue. You scream at a kid now in the wrong way, you might lose him for a couple of days. You know, that that, that thing's hard. It, it's changing. The, the, it's changing a lot. I think Mourinho is also, you know, he's been talking about the difference was that he had men at 22 and he's still got kids at 25 now. So um, you do see that. I think I think Sofronic is definitely the, probably the best in Cyprus when it comes to the motivation part of things. Now, the tactical side of things, I feel for me the best except for the Abuel team that went to the final way, I feel in the last, since the day I've arrived in Cyprus in 2004, the best teams I've seen is that Abuel team and Sofronisio's Abuelon team. Now, those two teams were unreal. They were just on another level. We saw it in Europe as well. Um, they could continue that same form in Europe against, you know, much bigger clubs. Um, so... If you sat here in January thinking that Ammonia could get a trophy last year, did you think they would do it? So, you know, credit to him for what he's done. And I, and I hope he gets it right this time. I hope they back him. You know, it's not it's not easy going to a team mid-year and trying to get results. Uh, and we're talking about Cyprus where it's cutthroat, yeah? You've got three games. Either you're first or you're out. So... Hopefully they back him. I think they would need to back him more than one year. They've still got to be honest with you. I think if he really wants to build his team, he's not going to do it over one 
transfer window. He's definitely not going to do it in January. So they need to stick it through. And the perfect example is Artis, yeah? They, they were winning 3-0 their first European game and then they lost. And then they went six draws in a row and they, you know, any other club might have got rid of him. And here they are now, you know, we're talking about them being the best team. So Exactly, exactly. And, and I'll tell you what, Spilevsky, you know, watching their celebrations and the players that love the guy so much and you could tell that that is vital. It's absolutely, and that's what Sofronis has. From what I understand, yeah. a lot of the players love him. They, you know, he's a, he's a great guy and, you know, he, he could really, really motivate them. And I just, look, winning the cup is great, don't get me wrong, because I think it papered over a lot of cracks and it did rejuvenate the squad somewhat. But, and I said, he, he's he's the guy to take us forward. So we, we back him. I've got no issue with that. But now we've got a sporting director. And do they share the same vision? Do they share the same ideas? That, again, only time will tell. But, look, I, I wish him all the best and... Hopefully we, we can kick on, but look, it's not it's not an ammonia show, bro. It's all about you. So um, <laughs> tell me, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna fire some quick questions because we we're doing very well for time. I don't want to take up too much of your time. But in terms of this uh, squad that you played in the the unbeaten season, who would you say was the your most difficult opponent that and season most, that I played against? My uh, I. It's what I said to you earlier, sourcing in training, we, day in, day right. out, marking them. So, like, it, it, that's how it was. That's, that's what we had that yeah. year. Um, but the, that year, let me try to remember that year. There was one guy that year that, mate, he had a brilliant year. He was playing at Salamina. Uh, I think his name was Wube. Okay. okay. He was very unpredictable. Very unpredictable. Uh, we were losing there. I think it was one two and we scored in the 90th minute he was he was a handful um and i think that i think also someone that doesn't get enough credit when he was on he was very hard to mark was gustas elias for bada limni i don't think he got enough credit and i think the reason maybe he didn't go elsewhere because he was probably being paid well to stay where he was but he was also you know just nippy just unpredictable and he's just someone that you knew you, if the game was 90 minutes, 95 minutes, he had to be switched on because he could just, a ball bounce and he just smells it, you know? So, um, but that's Brilliant. it. There weren't too many, to be honest. Brilliant. Well, if memory serves me correct, wasn't Craig Hignett there for a bit? Yes, he was. Craig Hignett is he's a top, top guy. He was, even though he didn't play a lot, he was so important to that squad. He doesn't get enough credit. He was brilliant in the change room, speaking with everyone, always laughing, always having a joke, always bubbly. He was he was brilliant. He was brilliant, mate. Yeah, because I, I remember him at Middlesbrough and then um, he, he ended up in Cyprus, obviously. And that came as a bit of a shock because apart from, I think, was it Chris Bart Williams was one of the first that I remember British players coming to Cyprus. And I think Bart Williams was, what was, was he at Upwell? I can't remember. I can't remember. But prior to that, there are obviously other players that, that come to Cyprus from the UK. But to hear Craig Hignett go from, you know, Blackburn Rovers, Leeds United, Crew, Leicester, and then uh, Abolon, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. it was a massive thing. But we didn't really know too much about it because there wasn't any coverage about it. So I'm interested yeah. to know what, what you remember in terms of his playing ability, in terms of what he brought to the, the squad, etc. 
yeah, so Craig Hignett. So also he came at a time in Cyprus where we weren't really on the map, were we? We're like, we weren't really doing anything in, you know, the European leagues and that. Um, but Craig Hignett, what can I tell you? I'll tell you what I can tell you about Craig Hignett. I've played with three players, three players that as soon as he's walked on the field, he's kicked the ball, I've turned around to see who it is. Craig Hignett's one of them. So Craig Hignett, when he hits a ball, it makes a different noise. Now, right. <laughs> I, very, I know what you mean. I know yeah, what you mean. Very few players yeah. can do that. So Craig Hignett, would, I, I remember I was walking the other way and I just heard this ball and it was, the way he just hit, hit his foot and I've turned around, I'm like, who's that? And I'm like, Craig Hignett. So I just sat back. I'll just stand there for about 10 minutes watching him just do long balls. So we used to actually do a... a the coach used to put him at halfway and he used to just whip him diags, left foot, right foot, left foot. Right. We used to just put it down and whip it in. So Craig Hignett was like, yeah, he's one of those players that he could really strike a ball. Um, but I'm telling you, he was he was the glue in the change room. He he was really important to us. He, he didn't play much. He didn't play much, but he was really important for that, for that club and uh, for that change room. Mate, I'll tell you what, again, remembering him, remember hearing, I can't say that word, remembering him as a player, he was fantastic. And again, it, it was roundabout, I think, was he, he was at Middlesbrough when they're going through that phase when they had like Ravinelli and uh, Juninho. Yeah, he, he went and, to the final. He went to the final, yeah. then, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, was, yeah they got to two I, finals. I was really surprised to see how well he did. I, I, I knew he went well, but I think he was telling me that he had a stat that he scored one goal every three games in the Premier League. But that, that, that's a, a big stat. Yeah, Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, so he was also yeah, part was... of that lead squad, you know, that big Leeds team that, you know, ended up going, you know, Rio yes. ended up coming at some point and that. So, yeah. And you I had know a, that because he Viduka was that. owed money. <laughs> What's that? Viduka, what a player. I, yep. I, know, I know he was part of that lead squad because he was still going back to get some pages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Risdale. You That's know, he spent right. 20 grand on like a... I think Risdale spent like 20 grand on a on a fish tank in the office. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Well, we've heard so many stories about that time. But hey, Viduka, what a player. One of my favourites yeah. of all time, mate. And Harry Kuehl. Harry Kuehl. Harry Kuehl, yeah. Good on I'll tell you what, though, I, I look at the um, the recent Australian national team, and I think with the exception of a couple of players, I think uh, the goalkeeper is like 30, 31, 32. And uh, is it Mitchell Duke? That's the striker. Yeah, is yeah. Mitchell Duke. But the rest of the squad are pretty young. We're talking like early 20s. Some of them are here at heart. Some of them, one is at uh, Leicester. Like, yeah, Lecky. Lecky's another guy that's a bit older. Yeah. He's, he played in Germany, the top player. So, yeah, this is the thing that we seem to have a trend now. A lot of the Aussie boys are going to Scotland and they're doing well. So, it is a younger squad. Um, there's a lot of players that were in that squad that play in the A-League um, and a lot of players that came through the A-League where we didn't have that for a while. Um, mate, I'll be completely honest with you. That was our most successful World Cup ever and I, I didn't think we were going to do much, to be honest with you. So, good on them. Yeah. And what do you make of Ange getting the Spurs job? There's, the training ground's literally around the corner from you. So when they go back into training, Spurs, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to start talking to him in Greek and see if he understands. Of course he understands. I, I told him. Of course he understands. Right? Like he's, he's more <laughs> Greek than he is Australian. Um, <laughs> but he, I, I, when he signed for Celtic, I have a few Scottish friends out here and they're like, oh, who's Ange? I'm like, mate, give it time. You're going to fall in love with this guy and he, mm. he's going to get it right. But he's got a big job. You know what I mean? Jesus, Spurs. 
it's massive. I hope we can get it done, man. You know, you know how hard it is to be the manager of Spurs. You know, the last you know contact. Mate, it's do poison it, chalice. Do it. Yeah, yeah. Poison so. chalice. So I, I think they're going to fall in love with him there. I think he's going to play very. Uh, he's going to play a Spurs kind of game, so that attacking yep. attacking type type of football. So I think I think they're going to be. I think he's going to do well. well they well. signed Madison yesterday. They signed yeah, him before, big, so it's a good signing. Yeah, very good signing. I thought he was going to go somewhere else. You know, like I mean, he's he's done all the hard yards. I thought he would have gone. To a club that might win a trophy, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Newcastle. Yeah, chance, maybe, maybe. I, I wish Ange luck, honestly, because not just because obviously his, um, his Greek roots, but I think, you know, coming into the Premier League from Scotland, there's always this element of snobbery where it's, oh, well, you came from Celtic. Who gives a shit kind of thing? But yeah, he's done the hard graft, man. He's done the yards. Going to Japan... He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's a real deal, man. No, he's, he's done it tough. You know, when he became, he was the under-21s coach of Australia, I think, and he didn't qualify, I think, for like two World Cups or two Asian Cups or something. There was a lot of, there was a lot of disappointed people. And I remember he did an interview on TV and he got blasted. And, you know, he did it tough. He did it really tough. And, mate, he won the Asian Cup with Australia and then he... He won it in Japan. He's won it in Scotland, um, mate. So the, his record speaks for itself. So I, I really, really hope he does well. Did you watch the A League Grand Final? I didn't know. No, I didn't watch it. I you... only watched the back end of it because I totally forgot about it. To be honest with oh, you, mate. but I watched it because I've been following a player for the last year that I've been. I actually told him in the summer that they should approach this boy. And um, Sam no Silvera. to me. No, he's actually signed for Sunderland now. Oh, okay. Okay. Trianus. So I wanted to see how he uh, did. Uh, okay. He's been absolutely killing it. So he's the future of Australia, that boy. So I wanted to see. Send I saw the semi final. Yeah, yeah. I saw the semi final and he absolutely killed it. Um, mm. And then I totally forgot about the final. Couldn't believe it. But mate, it was very one sided. I couldn't believe it when I saw the result. Yeah. And you talk about Melbourne City, who we know who they're connected to but yeah, yeah. yeah it was it was immense like coming scored a hat trick and i think he's playing yeah. in india now he's just joined a, a club in india yeah just to, that's right yeah he has he has but yeah. yeah but that player i mentioned silvera that that winger yeah yeah my god my Look god Mon- Mon- montgomery <laughs> montgomery the the coach there they, they've made big raps on them on him big yeah. big raps they've, everyone's talking him up so Man, he he'd taken a he'd taken a club that was sham, in shambles, to be honest. Like it's really yes. it's really lost his way, and uh, he's taken. You know, I think there were about four kids with him this year that hadn't played at all, and he, you know, they, one of them's off to Sunderland. So, yeah, good on him. Yeah, there's a there's a midfielder, um, Nisbet. Man, he, you, you have no. I played against him. I played against the- him my last year. He was in the Central Coast. Uh, reserve. So what they do in Australia, there's a there's a summer comp, there's an A League, and then the yeah. their, their youth team play in the youth comp. But then that youth team go into the winter league and they play men's football there. So I played against him, and I, I kid you not, he walked past me and he was up to my maybe my belly button. He was so small, yeah. so yeah. small. And then when I saw him make it into into A-League, I was oh, let's see this. But he's so smart. He's so clever. He just, he's a player and a half. Good on him. He's mid-20s now, isn't he? Mid-20s? He, mate, well, well, I would have played against him in 
2018. Yeah, so he should be close to mid-20s now. 24, yeah. 25. Yeah, because I, I was watching the game on and off because obviously it was, it was so one-sided. I, I was thinking, yeah. oh, you know. But he's getting the ball in the middle of the park, right? And he's spraying balls to the flanks, you yeah. know? And it was, it was, like, it was like Carrick-esque, you know? But he's, yeah. he's nimble. He's small. But he's, he's, very he's small, got that physical. But he's a baller, man. He's a unit, but he's a baller. But he's smart, you know. He knows how doesn't get involved too much. He plays off, you know, one, two touches, and then he finds a space, and then that's when he takes advantage of it. He's really, really clever. But I didn't see it coming from him. So good on him. Good on him. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Well, fingers crossed. You know your football, huh? You know your football. You even watch A League. Mate, do you know what? I, I try my best because obviously with work and then family and all that kind of stuff, it's very difficult to stay on top of things. So I'll be honest with you, I watch more European and South American and Australian football than I do the Premier League. I'm bored of the Premier League. It's, oh, it's in my wow. face every day, yeah, every yeah. day. And it's, it's just, oh, can I be bothered? You know, oh, look, Haaland scored another hat-trick. Yay, you know. <laughs> So, so what? I don't care. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I prefer to get educated with other leagues because obviously it gives you more to talk about. And, and you know, I'm not one of those Premier League snobs, you know. So, right. yeah, yeah. Know, but yeah, that, that, that final, that those two players I mentioned, the winger especially. Christ. 22 he, years he, old. He scored, the, he scored the solo, right? He's the one that did in the final, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, no, yeah. one minute, no. The guy that scored, was it Nkolo? Nkolo, Benny Nkolo. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He scored. But Silvera, the winger, the number seven, yeah. I was watching him. I thought, he's 21-22. Let me, let me check his stats. Hang about. Let me find him. Silvera, Silvera. 22 years old, yeah. So he's going to be yeah. 23 in October. Yeah, two caps for the Australian under-23. So he's a baller, man. He's yeah. a baller. I'm, but there's a player that's joined Newcastle from the A-League as well. I forget his name. Yeah, uh, Cole, was it? He he went out on loan in in um where did where did he go Saint Marin was it? He's out know, on loan in Scotland know. as well. Yeah, so he did really well in the A League too. Um, it took him a while to find his feet in Scotland though, but I think he, he's going to have a big career as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, onwards and upwards, man. Because I think there's been yeah. a bit of a rut in Australia in terms of you know you, you had that golden generation as they call it with your your Yedinaks and all that, and there's been a spell where we haven't really seen players breaking through, but this this current national team, I, I'm looking at the talent there. I'm thinking, and there's still more to come as the ones I've just mentioned that I haven't even played for yeah. the national team. So, yeah, it's looking well, good, man. But there's an age group there from about 23 to 17. It looks like they're going to be really good. I think the under 23s have been doing well in their games as well. So it's good to see. Also, I think the Joey's now the under 16s have done it. They've under 17s maybe it was. I'm not. I can't remember. They've they were just in a tournament. They're doing really well as well. So, they, you know, mate, hopefully hopefully we get back on that, you know, that high horse again because we we haven't had a, like, except for that boy that went to Leicester City, the centre-back who's an animal. Yeah, ah. yeah. So there's no one else really playing in the big league. So hopefully we can get them back out there. Well, mate, I remember, oh God, I'm reminiscing now. We're talking 2016, 15. I was talking to Tony Vidmar. And I think he was working for the the youth academy, the or the, team, yeah. yeah, the national team. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. talking to him about um, dev development in Australia, and he said that there there are a lot of obstacles, and obviously football not being the main sport out there is is the major one. 
Um, but he said, as time's progressing, there's a lot of money coming into the game. But at the same time, the wrong people are, are touching the money as well. So I, I guess that's all it boils down to. And as I mentioned earlier, with the, the sponsorship, with the A-League, the problem that they had at the beginning of the season, I think, was it with Hyundai or there was an issue with the TV money Someone, as well? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a mess. But then you're looking at the, the stadiums. Most of them are packed out. You know, so. yeah, well, we, the fans have dropped off a bit, though. I think yeah. that was a bit disappointing. Um, but yeah, look, it's I think I think the World Cup speaks for itself. There were a lot of A League players in that World Cup squad that did yes. really well, and and a lot of them that weren't in the A League, um, were in the A League six months prior to it, so they're still A League players, in, in other words. So, um, mate, hopefully, it picks up because it, it needs to do need to do better. I uh, need to do better. But, you know, we talk about not being the number one sport. It is the number one youth sport in in Australia, though. So there's a lot of, you know, players, participants and that. We just yeah. need to get it right. Vidmar is right, though. There, there are a lot of hurdles. Um, and it's, it's something missing, but I'll get that. I'm not there to, to kind of nail it down, but it, it, there is an issue. Of course, of course. Well, Perry, look, thanks for your time, man. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, pleasure talking to you finally face-to-face. And I hope we can do this again. I wish you luck for the coming season. It's certainly going to be a challenge, but you love a challenge, don't you, bro? Love a challenge. Always love a challenge. <laughs> well, I Lovely. appreciate Excellent. it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. A big shout-out to Hal as well. You mentioned him earlier. He's brilliant. He helps us a lot. Um, actually meeting with him on Monday, so hopefully we okay. can get... Uh, yeah, hopefully we can get the the base and uh, the village uh, uh, a closer community, so we can have a uh, you know more people at the grounds and things like that, so we can make a, a bit of a fortress there. Oh, for sure, he will love that. He will love that. So that's brilliant. That's great to hear. Well, boys and girls, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter and on Instagram. The links are in the description below. Not obviously here, but further down in the. Yeah, scroll down. So that's it for another episode of This Is Mapper. We'll be back very, very soon.